Since time immemorial, indigenous people have lived, traveled, and traded in the Puget Sound region. The Donation Land Act of 1850 to encourage westward expansion allowed American settlers to claim these traditional native lands. The explosion of immigration into the region that followed forced the U.S. government into a fraught treaty-making process with local tribes. The original terms of the Medicine Creek Treaty were inadequate and ultimately unaccepted by tribal leaders resulting in war. The Indigenous Voices podcast is an extension of the award-winning Puget Sound Treaty War Panel series and Fort Nisqually Living History Museum. The podcast advances tribal voices in the telling of Puget Sound history and shares tribal knowledge and expertise with wider audiences. In September 2022, the Puget Sound Treaty War Panel Series was recognized, along with 52 other recipients nationwide, by the American Association for State and Local History for a Leadership in History Award. This award recognizes achievement in the preservation and interpretation of state and local history. Earlier this summer, panel participants gathered at the Association for Living History Farm and Agricultural Museums Conference, both in person and virtually, to discuss the development of the panel series with museum audiences. The panelists shared their thoughts on the program's development and evolution, its successes and challenges, and what it means to come together as a diverse group of historians to share this history. To celebrate the program's recognition by the American Association for State and Local History this month, we wanted to share this conversation in two parts. This is part one. My name is Charlene Christ, and I am from Squaxin Island Tribe, Medicine Creek Nation. My ancestry also includes the Puyallup, Nisqually, and Squaxin on my father's side. My mother's side, Colville Confederated Tribes, but also some Yakima. My mother descends from the Chief Joseph Band that was imprisoned in Nespelem. And my, my stronger side is my father's side because growing up in Kamelchi, but growing up in some of the areas where our family would harvest hops and berries. And we were migrant, migrant workers. And this is how my mother and father met each other. It's good to be here because I believe that we all are walking history. We all have history to share with one another. It was such an, a good opportunity to be able to connect with Fort Nisqually and their project that they were doing. It's good to be here. Thank you. Good day. My, my name is Warren King George. I carry the traditional name of Yulawit, which comes from my father's side from Green River, from the Green River uh, Seuss Creek. I'm an enrolled member of the Muckle Street Indian tribe uh, on my father's side. And I'm a descendant of the Upper Skagit tribe on my late mother's. So that's uh, very northern uh, Puget Sound, very uh, close, closer to the Canadian border. That's the Lummi Reservation, the uh, Swinomish, Nooksack area. That's my late mother's territory, and even into the Canada side. And my father's comes from this side, from the, the South Sound. 
Point Elliot Treaty is my mother, and Point Elliot Treaty, Medicine Creek Treaty is my, my father. And so I'm happy to be here and, and have this discussion with you folks today. Thank you for attending. I appreciate the invitation. All right. Hostel I'm Brandon Raynon. I'm the acting director for the Historic Preservation Department of the Puyallup Tribe of Indians. I am an enrolled tribal member as well. Um, on my father's side, I am uh, Puyallup, Nisqually, and Yakima. And on my mother's side, I am Irish and Scottish and English. <laughs> so I, you know, I, one of the stories that we, we wanted to be told here is how we're all related. Uh, all the warriors of the treaty wars were, were, were related and uh, Warren is my, would be, is, is a cousin of mine. So even in, in today's world, you know, historians were, were fighting to tell a story still. The, the descendants of the, of the uh, treaty war warriors are still, we're still kicking, we're still, we're still uh, telling the story. So I also am grateful for the opportunity to, to uh, talk with you guys today. Um, I'm Jennifer Ott, I'm from History Link, and I am, have been just thrilled to be part of this project. We've been working on improving and increasing the amount of tribal history we have on History Link for a few years, but one of the challenges has been time. And this program has just given me the opportunity to really spend time with people that can tell me these stories and so I can learn about it. And it's been just invaluable for that. Thanks, I'm so glad we're here. Thanks for having us. Well, what were your thoughts when you were first approached about the program and what encouraged you to participate and want to continue the conversation? So as a historian for the Makotur Indian tribe, there, we receive a lot of requests from uh, schools and colleges and uh, teaching uh, institutions uh, to lecture about history and culture. Um, and some of them are very specific about what they'd like to hear, and some aren't, some just want general information. Yeah, I'm, I was born in 1965, I'm 57 years old, uh, survived the uh, public school, and uh, was exposed to quite a bit, um, both in and out of school. But it, uh, I was curious, uh, in the history classes, and in a, specifically the Pacific Northwest history classes, didn't cover any of this information in both grade school, middle school, high school, and college. So yeah, there's clearly a gap. Um, and I thought this would, this would be a perfect opportunity to, you know, to lecture, to provide information, valid information uh, from a valid source, from my traditional teachers, from my elders, and echo their stories and their sentiments. And I thought, what a, what a wonderful opportunity to share that story about how things happen, why they happen. And from our perspective, from the native perspective, not from, from uh, uh, an ethnographer, an archeologist, an anthropologist, but from a native American who, whose ancestors uh, survived uh, all of those centuries, all those thousands of years in this area. And I thought this is a perfect opportunity to share information uh, and echo those traditional teachings and values that were exposed to uh, to myself uh, during the during the, uh, my younger years. 
what uh, really got me going, got me interested in this uh, topic was kind of what I mean. Warren captured it all. I mean, all all the sentiments he shared. Um, but you know, I again, I think it's uh, like I was quoted there in the beginning. It was the opportunity for the tribes to tell their version of the story. Even in Washington State history, when I took it in high school, we didn't talk about this this war. It was something that you know. So even in history, it's been kind of lost. Uh, we've been fighting for all these tribes have been fighting to preserve the battlefields for the past few years, and even the state historic preservation and and all the state historical societies are kind of like, whoa, we forgot about this. We're, we're fighting for the history to be told, but to be told from our perspective for once. I mean, we've, I, I grew up like, like Warren did in the public school system and I was told my story. I was, I was told my history. And then when I started working for uh, the Puyallup tribe in the historic preservation department, um, and you know, it, it, all, it all began to make sense because my dad would tell me stories um about the history but you know it was different from what i was being told in school and so i'd often find myself getting in trouble because i'd be i'd be uh challenging the teacher about what she was telling me and this gave us the opportunity for the tribes to tell our story from our perspective um, and be able to share it with our voices with our sentiment and have that personal connection um to these stories these, these weren't these weren't just let you know people who uh, lived long ago, um, like you find, you know, a lot of like when you you hear history being taught in England or something like that. You know, these are just folklore folks. No, these are these are our relatives. These we are descendants from these warriors, and so their story needs to be told through us. Um, it, it it's a forgotten history, and and as their descendants, we need to carry on their story. And so this gave us the opportunity to do that. When I first heard about this, it was through another tribal member, Margaret Seymour Henry, and she's a historian also. And she couldn't do the second portion of this uh, panel discussion. And I said, okay, I will. And I was intrigued because we've never been able to tell the story from our perspective. The history books are very biased in many ways. And to be able to share with our peers and with our other tribal people, what we know, what the spoken history has been told to us was very important. My older cousin, he was a Vietnam war vet and we were out fishing and we'd be out there waiting for the tide to change. And so we'd hook up, hold on to each other's boat and listen. And he always had history to tell. And the one particular history that he wanted to make sure that was shared is that our people, we were deemed to be friendly people. When Peter Puget came into the area, they were greeted by our people. They were recorded in their history journal. The sight was horrific because we came out in our feathers and our black glimmer and our red ochre. He, he said he equated it to the lords of, of England where they would have their powdered wigs and their white uh, makeup and uh, beauty dots and our people, in the Elden Met, greeted the, people, the Royal British Navy. And when they left, they said, a friendly inlet. We were friendly. And our people to this day still have this goodness about them. They do care. And when you're in an area of wealth, you think of the land, how beautiful it is, and everything's abundant. The shellfish, the salmon, the deer, the elk, 
the cedar that we love so dearly that provided everything for us from our, our canoes, our paddles, everything. We were a very wealthy people. Willie Frank said, it was like a garden of Eden. There was no need to want. So as people of wealth, it was easy to share with one another. We were a good neighbor when it came to the early pioneers. We were there to help, help to educate. And when it came to that time of the division, of the signing of that treaty of 1854, there was sorrow and heartache, unspeakable, that happened among the people. I attended a conference the other day and someone said, when you get on the ground and perseverance is like this, you get up, if you have to crawl to your destination, you do that. Tribal people, we got up, we kept move walking, kept making our way. We were, there was a lot of wounds, a lot of hurts, a lot of historical trauma that we had to carry. One of the um, tribal elders, he said, when we open up this museum, we are going to have to be very careful what we share with one another because some people cannot carry the agony of the history of their ancestors. And we've been carrying it. We were split. We had some tribal members so concerned for the early pioneers that we went to their farms, to their places where they lived and said, come on, you guys gotta get your stuff together. My people are so angry. They might kill you. Come on, let me help you get this stuff. I, I brought my canoes, let's load them up. You had that one side of the tribal people just urging them, get to the blockhouse or going to families and saying, please get ready. My people are at war. They're so angry because this Medicine Creek Treaty, you placed us on this island, no running water, no rivers, and our traditional foods and medicines are not there. We had that side too. They're just like, oh, seeing red. They were ready for a battle. In Olympia, there's a story of how this man went to get water, tribal man, and this is one of those artesian wells. And when he filled his water up and he was leaving, there was a fight that went on. He was knocked down. They kept keeping him down. And this is a native man that they keep pushing down and punching on him. And um, this is written by an early pioneer. And this man reached out to the native guy and handed him his water. The native walked away. Now we're at the time of war. And this man, he was from the Eaton Rangers. He was on scouting duty and with a couple other guys. They got jumped. And those native men, they were working those three non-Indians over. And the men, all of a sudden, they just stopped. And reaching out to him was that native man that he had reached out to. And he lifted him up, helped him get on his horse, and those men got away. Humanity was present in the time of war. Yet at the same time, people were so, our people were so ready for the war because talking about catching the short end of the stick, Squaxin did. We did not get that mainland that was promised at the signing of the treaty, but was spoken. We trusted those that spoke this was going to happen. No, it didn't happen. And so that's why our people went to war. I have to admit, I was a little nervous. Uh, this is, I knew this would be a hard topic. 
and I didn't entirely trust my own knowledge um, to do it well. And, um, but I know Warren, I know Brandon, and I figured they would um, help me <laughs> and uh, forgive me if I did stumble and they did. But one of the things that reasons I was nervous is I knew just enough to know that I didn't know very much. And so, because truly it's, it, it, we weren't taught this in schools in a way that even made sense, but we just didn't question it because that was just the way it was taught. And so that is one of the things that I was most excited about because that has been my experience in the past is that if you get an opportunity to hear people talk about their history, you you get such a different perspective than we got in our textbooks. So I did jump at the chance to have these conversations. We've started as a virtual panel series. Um, we're now producing a monthly podcast, which has taken a different shape. I'd love to hear from folks about Initial goals of the program in your mind and whether or not those goals that you have changed over time. Sure. I mean, my goals were obviously just to make sure that our story was told and that it was, again, it was, it was from our perspective. Um, and I wanted people just to be able to, to walk away with a better understanding of the tribal perspective of this battle and these, of these battles and the war and actually have the truth out there. This was not a good time for, um, the, the tribal folks, to put it lightly, um, you know, we were hunted. Our children were hunted, and I wanted that story told. And when I, when I say children, I'm talking children, toddlers were hunted. And that's just, you know, that's never told. Uh, you know, the the whitewashing of, of the history, the the making sure that the, those sides aren't told. I wanted that to be told. I wanted people to hear the stories um, of this history. And and I wanted them to walk away with, with a greater understanding. And my goal is just to make it through the uh, the panels and they definitely have shifted because now the podcasts I think are even greater I mean they're even a better opportunity to a larger audience um, they're able, we're able to uh, tackle more subjects as as we all learned four panels was definitely not enough to get the entire story told and so shifting over to the podcast version uh, where we're able to really get in there and and discuss each each subject. Um, and each area and really focus on the, the history, but also focus on the fact that we're still here. You know, this is, we are, uh, we are a vibrant, we are resilient uh, people uh, from all the tribes, not, not just the five represented on this panel, but from all the 29 and all the 574 that we have recognized and the unrecognized as well. You know, um, Stilicum is an unrecognized tribe, but you know, they're still here. They're still fighting for, uh, for, their, uh, for their recognition too. And so, um, you know, our stories, you know, continue. And I wanted uh, people to, to understand that, um, that we're not just, you know, people on a, on, in a book or people on a, on a movie. We're, we're, we're here, we're resilient, um, and that we continue to tell our story. The, one of the things is I've learned about myself is that I can be a little bit literal. And when I came to this, I was looking at the mechanics of the treaty war and, you know, the, what triggered it, what the, how it happened, and then the after effects. And we certainly covered those things. But the thing that I took away from this group and their willingness to have very open conversations and the young people that I got to interview for the short video that we did was that you can't shy away from the harder sort of the personal, the emotional that's what's missing from that textbook history is that these are individual people and their families. And this is 
really not that long ago. You know, to take the time to do that and to do it in a setting where everyone has kind of agreed to talk about it. So you don't feel like you're intruding too much on their personal space. I'm always a little bit unsure about that. You know, some of them have been hard. It's some of this is really, really hard history to talk about and to, you know, to sit with and know that it still affects people today, really in just fundamental ways. Uh, And that there's nothing you can do about it, right? You can't fix it. Um, You can just try and do better. That's also kind of a hard thing to sit with sometimes. But that is probably the biggest change that I came to this with a very, have your outline, cover your questions, do all that. But then um, I have learned just so, so much more than I anticipated. Yeah, in my opinion, the goals were exceeded. We really, this this group of people with, with Elizabeth uh, at the at the helm really guided this and made it a real success. The uh, objective from where I sat uh, was to provide information, uh, was to provide a subject matter that would eventually end up in curriculum at at some level, at virtually any level. So from grade school all, all the way up to college level, you know, that was the goal from my, from my perspective. That was the intention. And, and that really, in my, in my opinion, this group really you know, put their best, best effort forward and knocked it out of the park. Um, I'm really pleased with, with that goal being met. Um, and as far as the, 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 um, the direction where we're headed now, I'm ecstatic about broadening our perspectives, about the opportunity to share, um, to have more discussion about uh, traditional, traditional life, cultural life, native life, and being able to share that uh, in the context of history, in the context of our identity. And that was big, that's key. Because like you heard at the very beginning, Brandon and I share blood. And it's not our fault that we were not aware of that until this panel. Now that was, that's something that we need to have a conversation about. Why is it that that separation, why was that taught? Why was that enabled? So bringing us back together, having that conversation about why and when, and all those details, well, hopefully that, that's where our podcast, uh, the future podcast will go. To help everybody understand it. So we don't, right? So we can learn that lesson over again. Yeah, extremely valuable. And I'm, and I'm pleased about, about uh, the expansion of, of the podcast. I'm happy to, uh, with the direction it's going. Um, who knows? Maybe next we'll talk about textbooks. <laughs> <laughs> Our goal was the educational factor, cultural education. Years ago, when we opened up our museum, there was a, a lady who was standing by an exhibit and she was crying and not sobbing, but just tears coming down her face. I walked up to her and I asked her, are you okay? And she looked at me kind of angrily and she said, no, I'm not. I go, what can I do to help you? She said, I didn't know your people were still here. I thought we killed you all off. And oh it was kind of... I, I looked at her in disbelief, of course, and, and I said, we're still here. We need to educate the cultural portion of who we are, that we are still here, and we still have this connection to the, the land, even though 
it may be owned by somebody else. The goal is to continue on with that education so that it's not so biased, that our people have the voice in it too, that this is what really happened. You forgot to tell this part. And there's documentation of these forts in our area, documentation of who was there. And then you have the other documentation of the spoken history. And so the goal really is to continue the education and this podcast is a wonderful way to do it. It's a fantastic podcast. <laughs> it's phenomenal. Award-winning award podcast. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Is that a great time to acknowledge the American Association of State and Local History has recognized this program in? I took a screenshot so I could say it correctly. As part of the Leadership and History Awards the most prestigious recognition for achievement in the preservation of state and local history. So <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> Boy, that's nice to say out loud to a group. <laughs> <laughs>